0: following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. i
1: said, Ted, it would be my honor if you would let me pay for the gas, knowing that he would not let me pay for the gas. And he said, no, Jared, this wasn't about giving your kids a good time. I had to get up here to get gas anyway. And so this was already on my route. And of course, he wouldn't let me pay. Ted also owned. Ted Strawbridge loved the gospel more than anyone I've ever known, and I think it's because he realized he was the biggest sinner that he knew. And Ted loved church planting more than anyone I've ever met in my whole life. He believed that the function of the church was to, to go after those who were far off, who would go after those who were lonely and little and left out, the ones who weren't up for it, the ones who couldn't get it right, that the church is. A year and a half ago, we had six-month-old twins, and Ted took me out to lunch and told me that he believed I should plant a church on the south side of Chattanooga and that um, I should really prayerfully consider it. I should ask God whether or not I would be. he would let that happen. And I laughed at him and said, no, I have six-month-old twins. They spent three hours with us that night, answering every question we could throw at them about church planting, asking whether a man with five kids and infant twins should go and plant a church. And they put all of our questions and concerns to rest, and we left that night. And on the way to the car, Aaron said, I think we should do it. I think we should do it. So make no mistake, you're in this room this morning church's job to let sinners know that Ted was always giving away his significance he was a senior pastor and he retired and turned his church over and to his own assistant pastor and then Ted became the assistant pastor he was a church planter for the Presbyterian Work. He was called to the majors and mission to North America. Ask him, Would you do this all over the country? But every time Ted was put in a big position, he would go and stand in the back of the line. So Ted is offered this nationally recognized position, and he comes to me and meets me for coffee and says, Hey, I'm taking a new job with MA. Would you mind if I served as an assistant pastor on your side? loss where you can sort of take measure and move on all the stronger. It's going to be senseless, ridiculous, tragic loss that makes no sense. Whether it's infertility for some of you, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's the loss of death of a loved one, whether it's cancer. When you follow Jesus, mark my words, that will be endurance on the part of the people of God who keep His commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead But that's not what Ted's doing this morning. Yesterday, Ted woke up more alive than he will ever be now in the history of mankind. Yesterday, when we were grieving and weeping, Ted was hearing, Well done, my good and faithful servant. suffering from infertility for years and years, and just every once in a while, nothing to say. Finally, after the procedure, the nurse came out and got us and said, y'all need to come back. Your wife is crying uncontrollably, and no one can get her to stop. We hang our heads, and we walk back into this way overly lit, bright room, and we see his wife there friend who was trying to be a good husband, who was trying to speak some comfort onto his wife. He reached up and he put his hand on her shoulder and he said, honey, it's okay. It's okay. In a moment, she turned from sadness to anger and looked him in the eyes and said, it is not of retire with all of his friends in Florida. And to die just a couple years later in a senseless freak accident is not okay. What the Bible actually tells us is that we should not make friends with death. It's not okay. And we shouldn't let... Presbyterianism or sovereignty or anything else make us feel like it's okay that death has creeped into this world because it's not okay so how do we experience loss like this and yet still affirm that it's not okay we have to be honest we have to lament and we have to believe we have to be honest and lament and believe first of all why is it so hard to be Of control, that you have to give up control, that you're powerless. You have to say, I can't do anything about this. And so we sort of mitigate with excuses like saying, you know, we're okay and God's in control. But it's not okay. And David knew that. David was chased around his whole life, suffering. to make friends with the brokenness. He said, it's not okay. So don't act like it is. Look at this in verse 2 and 3 and 6 and 7. He says, be gracious to me, O God, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O of grief. It grows weak because of all our foes. David takes the gloves off and says, come on! I thought you called me to this. I thought you were with me. I thought you anointed me. And here I am hunted. You know what's so sad is that often people that are grieving will feel like they did something I'll say, I did something. Why is God so angry? in its face and say where is your sting O death don't make friends with death don't ignore the pain don't explain it away don't become embittered by it the psalmist is crying out in his pitiful condition you don't have to make friends with the brokenness of this world Jesus came to heal the brokenness of this world sometimes we use some misunderstanding Coverted. at ugliness and sadness, to look at skinned knees and broken hearts and to say, it's okay, it's okay. What we should have taught him to do is to walk over to his friend and sit with him and say, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And I wish it would happen to me and I can't take away the pain and I hate that I can't take away the pain and so I'm just going to sit here with you. I'm going to sit here with you and be quiet and I'm going to wrap my arms around you and I'm going to love you. Too long to memorize for Knox. So we'll keep trying. Don't tell people it's okay, it's not. If it's okay, why did Jesus come? If it's okay, why did Jesus? Why did Jesus? to talk to him. But it's drawing near with great faith. Because it demonstrates that you believe God actually has power to help. It says it in 6 verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Meaning, he's saying, you can help. And in 3, he says, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled Jared, why did you let this happen? Why did you do this? We'd be able to say that, well, it's silly to bring that to Jared because Jared has no power over it. Jared can't stop tragedies from happening. So, what you're actually saying when you lament is you're going to somebody, and even as you shake your fist, you're saying, I believe that you can bring life out of death. I believe that you have like the old testament believed the fathers of our faith who said despite everything we're experiencing we will still turn our eyes to you i believe you hear how in the complaint it's actually faithful it's a robust understanding why else would you go to god why would you cry to a god that didn't have muscles why would you cry to a god that didn't have compassion when you complain to him You're saying, I know you are faithful, I know you are strong, I know you are good, and I can't make sense of it. But where else would I go? You would not weep to a God that didn't care. You would not call out for rescue for a God who didn't have muscles. And in your lament, you will doubt God. And I know that's scary. You'll doubt it. vanquished death he's taken the devil's plans and he's conquered them for that point on and forever he has opened wide the gates of eternal life for sinners like you and me and thomas says i won't believe and instead of jesus walking in and smacking him around doubt and even when you doubt for those of you in jesus you'll get grace in fact in verse 22 of the short book of jude he says be merciful to those who doubt that's something i want those of you in the room who don't necessarily ascribe to our faith who aren't christians who don't believe what you've probably heard over the years is that doubting is ugly and wrong and doubting is not what a christian should do it's not what a christian should Christians keep ourselves away from doubters and yet the posture that we David is doing is he's taking what he knows to be true about God and he's setting it on top of his experience and saying, of all the things in the world, I doubt. I'm still going to bet on you, God. Despite the fact that I'm hurting and I'm lost and I'm discouraged and I'm confused and I'm angry, I'm still going to bet on you, God. He's speaking truth down to his own heart. She could do to walk through the door and stand in the back. And she said, some mornings when she when she could manage it, she would close her eyes and she would listen to the voices around her singing what she so desperately wanted to believe. And she said, for her church for a year was listening to the memories, and on any given moment, the person to your right or left doesn't believe anymore, and they need to stand God walked away from His Son His discipline for sin So that He could be near to the brokenhearted And save those who are crushed in spirit You see friends We use the circumstances of our life To measure His love for us But we should be using the circumstances of His death To understand His great love for us We use the circumstances of our life. Tell me, does he love me? By the end of it, he was like, yes, yes, he absolutely still loves you. He does love you. My friend who went and sat with her, who was nearby, sat with her and said, called and said, dude, you got to do something here. She's running us into the ground every 15 seconds. Does Jared still love me? So I sent him a text message that said, I still love you. still love me. He would hold up the cell phone. I still love you. Love, Jared. You see, friends, what we have in the Bible, what we have in the Psalms, what we have in Jesus is that regardless of what our fear is, that we've been hurt and that someone has walked away from us, what we have is the assurance of God saying, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're experiencing, I still love you. Trust in me more than you trust in your experience. Ask who's to blame for a man being born blind, the man or his parents, and Jesus is neither. Jesus rebukes people who say that a certain group of people have been so sinful that the tower fell on them, and he says, No, but you should repent. Jesus does not take what is universally broken. About How will I know what's... suffering means that he's faithful when he Seven grandchildren at the time, now more. We spent last- Nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. He said every single piece of our old church is better than when. said about that, that the church he had planted was now doing better without him. Ted's words were supper at the table the way that we always do. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you set aside these